This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and so much happening at the property market. It's every day there's multiple articles on what's happening in real estate. So I try to keep you up to speed with some of the things that are happening that may be of interest with a few little quirky stories along the way. I normally try to do things with regards to the Manawatu Wanganui market in particular, but actually I thought today we'd have a little bit of a look around a bit further afield and to see what trends are happening around the country. Before we do that though, the rural uh, the rural property market has been consolidating and dairy farm sales hold. I know recently there's a real increase in whole milk uh, prices, etc., so what's happening? Well, across the majority of regions in the three months ending February, the market is consolidating. So the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand figures show that there were 129 more farm sales, or nearly 40% more than there were in the same period last year. A total of 458 farm sales were recorded for the period compared to 329 the year before. 30% of the sales in the three-month period were finishing farms, 30% were grazing farms, while dairy accounted for 20%, and horticulture 9%. In the year ending February, there were 23% more farms sold than were sold in the same period the year before, with dairy farms representing the majority or 51% of sales. The median price per hectare, hectare of all farms sold in the three months to February was 25665 compared to 20500 in the same period last year. That's an extra $5,000 per hectare. For dairy farms, median price per hectare was thirty-three and a half thousand. Finishing farms, thirty-five and a half thousand, and grazing farms, twelve thousand. Horticulture, just over three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So good to see some movement happening there. It means, uh, according to the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand rural spokesman Brian Peacock, he says that sales figures confirmed the rural market was in good shape, led by dairy farm sales, finishing, and grazing properties. So I saw this article by Michaela Wilkes on stuff.co.nz. It says, will the housing market cool off this autumn? So we know the best time historically to sell a property has always been spring, when buyers were neither sunning themselves at the batch nor on a three-week midwinter escape to Europe. But some houses simply can't be made to look their best in the dark and cold of winter. But that's in a normal year and we all know that things are far from normal right now and after months of prediction-busting house prices, will we see a cooling off of listings along with the weather? Bindi Norwell, the Chief Executive at the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, says, Traditionally we see property sales slow down in the cooler months of the year. However, the property market has not followed the usual cycle since COVID-19 first hit New Zealand's shores. Real estate agents are accused of adding fuel to the red-hot property market by manipulating so-called estimated prices on websites, which is something that I'd reported uh, previously. I can't imagine there is much in that at all. 
So Nikki Crooksank from Tommy's Real Estate Wellington said, I don't have a crystal ball, but my gut feel is the market is going to slow down anyway. Nikki says that the market rises for two years and then settles or steadies for five. We've had increases for four years now. I don't think it'll go backwards, but the growth rate will slow right back. There are some regional variations, but real estate typically has its highest sales volume in March to May because that's when properties marketed during summer are sold, according to homes.co.nz. And after that summer rush, sellers often wait until September to November when their gardens can be shown off in full glory before listing again. April can also present a particular challenge for family home listings with open homes struggling to compete against school holidays, Easter and Anzac weekend. Typically, if a house isn't that well suited for marketing in the colder seasons, like it's dark or drafty, it's best to market it in summer when it feels lighter and brighter. Likewise, uh, if you are um, renting a or, or advertising property for rent and it doesn't have carpets, it's very hard to rent them in the winter, uh, but very easy in the summer. So autumn can provide an opportunity for market heating features of a home that would be hard to promote otherwise. Crookshank said the cold weather can be a turn-off for buyers in places like Wellington, particularly if the houses are old and drafty, because sellers need to make sure that the home is cosy as soon as set people set foot in the door. Now, I've always thought from a local perspective under a normal market, there are actually some good reasons to list in autumn and winter. There's less properties available, and so the cooler months can actually generate more competition and an opportunity to sell for a higher price. My personal view is that there will be little change in the market with regards uh, the busyness of the market over this time, but I guess we will wait and see. So moving on to, to another article here I've got, uh, and this is something which made me laugh, but not, not necessarily in a good way. An Auckland tennis court bought for $500 in the 1950s nets 2.2 million auction, a bigger pardon, it was bought for £500 in the 1950s and nets £2.2 million at auction. Here's a picture of this on stuff.co.nz, Caroline Williams reporting. The quarters in Northcote with stunning views of the Waitamata Harbour and Auckland City skyline. It's the only lot on Oceanview Road to have never been built upon. According to the Auckland Council website, the property has a capital value of around £1.28 million, it's a quarter acre plot of land and <laughs> hasn't been sold again. Or oh, sorry, it's been in, in a family since 1956. So Raymond Russell built, the original owner, built a tennis court on the land which sat next door to the family home. So it soon became the hub of the neighbourhood where children would come to roller skate, celebrate birthdays, play tennis in Foursquare. Now it's in quite a lot of disrepair but it's quite amazing that uh, it's sold for $2.2 million. You have to watch the space and see what happens with that. So moving around the regions now, this article in, on stuff, Taranaki Small Town Affordable Housing Bonanza. Zanita Taylor and her, fo- and her four children are some of Stratford's newest residents and they couldn't be happier with their shift to Taranaki Town, renowned for its Shakespearean street names and chilly climate. The move to the inland town of 6,000, approximately 40 kilometres from New Plymouth, came after months of fruitless searching for home in Waitara, where Taylor works, and Inglewood, where she lived. 
Both new Plymouth satellite towns along with Bell Block have traditionally been considered affordable options outside the city for those hoping to get on the first rung of the property ladder. But with the housing crisis boom, Bell Block and Inglewood have become second or even third rung, while prices in Waitara are accelerating away from what some might consider affordable, leading to the cheap house zone being pushed further out from New Plymouth. So we see this in all regions as prices go up. Think of the prices that are currently accelerating northwards of Wellington. Think of the Wairarapa, small towns outside of Masterton, and the towns outside of Palmerston North like Fielding, Sanson and Bulls, that the prices are just going up quite amazing. So here's some of the maths from that region, just to put it in context. Figures from property data analyst CoreLogic for February 2021 show the median value in Inglewood was 462400 Bell Block 577 Wanawaitara $375,000. The values are up 13% more than the year before, and while affordable compared to New Plymouth's median value of 579 it's still becoming increasingly out of reach for buyers. So again, this is really mirrored all around any region in New Zealand. And that leads me to the to another article here. I'm just leafing through my, my many pages. Talking about the creep north from Wellington, million-dollar house prices are spreading north into Lower Hutt following record prices in Wellington. Million-dollar homes are becoming the norm in southern Lower Hutt, hot on the heels of eye-watering prices in the capital. Five real estate agents told Stuff the million-dollar mark was creeping north as buyers flee Wellington, where the median house price reached a record $1.1 million last month. Lower Hutt's median price also reached 839000 Professionals Redcoats agent Shane Brocklebank said he and his colleagues had sold five properties in excess of $1 million in the suburb of Waifetu in the last fortnight. One was a 100-square-metre home on White's Line East with no garage. All the homes are within one kilometre of each other. So that's incredible that they're selling for those prices. In 2012, Stuff reported the median price in that suburb was 325000 The highest price paid for a home then was 585 while the cheapest was a $100,000 unit. But according to Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, the median price in Waifetu in February was 797000 CK and Co., Realty Managing Director Diane Cummings said that three of the last five houses her company sold last week went for more than a million dollars. A million used to get you something exceptional, but now it gets an average house, which is really a state of the market, isn't it? Crazy. She and Brocklebank said suburbs like those in the eastern bays, Woburn, Central Hut, had routinely seen million dollar sales in the past, but the rest of the southern lower hut was now catching up. Prices being driven, of course, by house hunters unable to crack the Wellington market. You might recall on the show here, I reported a little while ago that uh, Porirua uh, had gone up to one of the most, uh, just, I don't know if it was an anomaly or not, but it was the most expensive um, place in the country. What, so Cummings says that we're seeing people who have made offers on three or four houses, they just whack the next one with 40 or 50,000 more than they think it's worth to nail it down. Problem is, it sets a new benchmark for that sort of house in that area. Brocklebank said most standalone houses on a flat section in the southern half of the city were now knocking on the door of the million dollar mark. A shortage of supply in the housing market meant those prices would likely spread further north and become more common in the likes of Avalon and Nainai. 
Ray White agent Ray Wallace said the million dollar price tags are already moving into the northern part of the city. He sold two properties in Taita earlier this year, which reached that mark. And Lou McDonald, also of the professional, said another factor driving up prices was the activity of developers following the relaxation of planning rules, which allowed the building of higher density housing in more parts of the city. So it's pretty incredible to think that that is spreading northwards towards us. How far will it go? I'm not sure, but if, certainly if you're looking at properties in the likes of Raumati, Waikanae, Paraparaumu, Manukau, and even up towards Levin, um, those prices are going to be going up significantly as well as the transport network gets a lot better indeed. So from elsewhere in the country, this is from Rotorua in the New Zealand Herald, Pukehangi development pushes ahead land rezoned for 790 homes. This is where councils are trying to free up land to get properties in place to help with this overall demand. So an estimated 790 new homes are on the horizon for Rotorua as a fast-tracked rezoning gets government sign-off. Rotorua's mayor says it's a step forward in helping the city's critical housing shortage. Environment Minister David Parker has approved the district plan change that will help enable development at Pukihangi Heights, the Rotorua Lakes Council announced in a statement today. Parker signed off the change in a letter to council dated March 8th, saying the council had met the requirements of the streamlined planning process, so that's great. The Pukihangi Heights area is along the southwestern edge of Rotorua Township on the lower slopes of a landscape known as the Caldera Rim. It was identified in the future growth area of the council's district plan in 2016, picked for its proximity to the central city, good aspect and views and ease of access to existing infrastructure. So how does this relate to us here in the Manuk too? Well, it's just an example of how things can be fast-tracked now given the right motivation by local government. And I know in the 10-year plan that uh, there'll be a lot of development heading out towards Ashurst, for example, and a couple of pockets of other areas like Summerhill and possibly out by Logburn. However, anything that can speed things up will mean that uh, with the supply and demand, it may become somewhat easier for uh, people to get into housing. So the size of that land is 160 hectares of farmland. We've got plenty of farmland around the Manawatu and uh, let's just hope that they can get things cracking along as quick as possible. In the uh, state of the, or economic state of the region's review recently, uh, I believe, I wasn't there, but I believe that the mayor said that we will have a population increase of 10,000 people in Palmerston North in the next 10 years. Now, doing the maths on that, if we allow three people per household, that's over 3,300 new homes we need just to keep up. So we'll have to see how that goes. So this story caught my attention. It was a question posed by Ethan Tiora on stuff.co.nz. Is $745,000 reasonable for a one-bedroom house? This Wellington property draws the ire of housing advocates. Ridiculous, outrageous, hopeless. These are words used by housing advocates to describe a one-bedroom property in Wellington that was on the market seeking offers of over 745000 The 42-square-metre Miramar house was described as perfect for busy singles or couples in the listing by real estate group Ray White. One housing advocate instead described the house as more like a respectable version of the converted shipping container recently listed in Johnsonville. 
A listing agent from Ray White didn't want to comment while any potential sale was still being finalised, but they thought the asking price was fair. They'll either come or they won't, the agent said. So this listing comes amongst record high property prices in the Wellington region. The median house price recently crossed the million dollar threshold. However, those properties were typically three or four bedrooms rather than one bedroom properties. So Flip Homes designed and built the one bedroom property and two others on the section. Chief Operating Officer Paul Swift said the company aimed to build affordable homes, but ultimately prices reflected the housing market. It's a really tough market, Swift said. It's obviously very, very tricky to get on the property ladder. And the homes are well above code because the company believed every New Zealander had the right to a warm and healthy home. So it's incredible to think that uh, a a small home of that size would be listed at $745,000. Speaking of small homes, uh, original tiny home, a Wellington cottage comes on the market for the first time in over a century. It's a property on Tinakori Road and it's been held in the same family since 1899. It's the original tiny home and it's for sale after being held by the same family for 122 years. The 44 square metre cottage, which sits on 92 square metres of land at 251 Tinakori Road in Thorndon, Wellington, was thought to have been built in the 1860s. It comprises only three rooms, an open plan kitchen, a living space, a double bedroom and an outdoor laundry and bathroom. It's been renovated to a high standard with updated foundations, wiring, plumbing and a new kitchen and bathroom. So really interesting to have that historic home there. The rating value on that 42 square metre home is $700,000 but the agent who's selling it, Paul Dwignan, excuse me the pronunciation, said they had no idea where that expects to sell for. It's quite incredible really. We'll have a little break now. We'll just go and have a bit of music. And this is Led Zeppelin with Black Dog.
Led Zeppelin with Black Dog. We're back here on Property Matters where we talk all things property. And before the break, we're talking about the market in general. We're going completely offshore now to a story from Beverly Hills. So the Beverly Hills estate shown in The Godfather and The Bodyguard is on sale for $165 million. And uh, maybe a good quote for this, if you're looking to buy it, would be, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. But I don't know, that's not a very good impression. But uh, the Beverly Hills house appears in a scene from The Godfather where a rival of the Corleone family wakes up to find the horse's head in his bed. Like, that's the same house. So the former Beverly Hills estate of newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst just got a big price cut. So it's on the real estate market for a mere $165 million New Zealand dollars. It's got 18 bedrooms, 25 bathrooms. It's located on about 1.4 hectares of prime property, just a short limo jaunt away from Sunset Boulevard and the Beverly Hills Hotel. 
boasts a near Olympic sized swimming pool, a lighted tennis court, two screening rooms, and a commercial grade kitchen, plus terraces that can accommodate 400 or more guests for a seated dinner. According to the London based listing agency Bowcomp Estates, putting it among the most unique trophy properties in the United States. The Beverly House was previously listed for sale as much as $271 million back in 2016, but it's on the market uh, for $174 on March 2020, and now it's $165. According to the Jeremy G, who's the Bowcamp Estates Managing Director, he wrote, The Beverly House in Beverly Hills is one of the finest mansions and estates in America. It's been on and off the market before, but always with a domestic US broker with a focus on a domestic American buyer. So they will market the Beverly Hills house to our clients and contacts in Asia, Middle East and Africa. G speculated the prospective buyers could come from Asia. The house is located on a rise, so it sits above the surrounding area, he wrote, and is an important status symbol. As one of the most largest and most famous mega mansions in Beverly Hills, it's a real trophy property for an Asian billionaire. Again, their words, not mine. So it was designed by Gordon Kaufman, who's the famed architect behind the Hoover Dam and several prominent estates in the Beverly Hills area. So it's really, uh, it was built in 1927 and was the home for Hearst for a long time and actress Marion Davies. So it's really interesting to see where that is. It's also, so it's in the scene with the horse's head, as I mentioned with The Godfather, but it also shows up in 1992's The Bodyguard and in pop icon Beyonce's 2020 visual album Black is King. So held as an emblem of Hollywood's golden era, the Beverly House is famed for its H-formed architecture characterised by long colonnades, wide balconies, arched floor-to-ceiling windows and its spaciousness. So uh, if you wanted to make a donation towards this uh, radio show, then I could start saving. Otherwise, uh, even probably winning lotto is not going to cover that one. <laughs> so uh, now just on a final note, for this is talking around landlords and privacy. There has been in, in the news a wee while, for a wee while now, the perception that landlords ask for way too much information from tenants and uh, create a blacklist. But Property Investors Federation President Andrew King says that the probe is reasonable, but it gives the public the perception that practices are widespread across the whole sector, and this is wrong. The perception is often worse than reality. Tenants who haven't had a problem with their landlord or property manager won't speak up. It will only be those who have grievances that gives the impression all landlords are demanding too much private information when we don't believe they are. Edwards says his office has been made aware that some property management agencies and landlords are asking for detailed information from prospective tenants as part of their selection process, and others are using public forums to compile lists of so-called bad tenants. Now, I'm concerned about some of the practices we're seeing during a time when Pressure when on tenants is high, says Privacy Commissioner John Edwards. Demand for rental accommodation across New Zealand has led to prospective tenants competing for fewer properties, making them vulnerable to requests for personal information. And uh, so the article goes on. And uh, Property Investors Federation uh, Andrew King says the Privacy Commission could do better research than just hearing anecdotal evidence from tenants. It has access to the information from the Tenancy Tribunal on Bonds and could do a well-researched academic survey of tenants to find out what their actual experiences are. So sometimes these things are a mountain out of a molehill and uh, the Property Investors Federation has about 12,000 property investors and a survey is 
of his surveys of members doesn't indicate any private landlords asking for bank statements and they don't agree with the practice. So that's interesting to see if that's just another media, uh, I should say, sorry, not a media beat up, but more of a political uh, statement that's going on there with regards to changes to privacy. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for joining me here on Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. It's been lovely having your company. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.